Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. So today we are talking movies. Um, we're talking Casablanca and Inside Lewin Davis. Not Double feature, Llewellyn. baby. I mistakenly thought it was Llewellyn Davis. Right. Maybe. Common, common mistake. Based on the uh, other Coen Brothers film, which has a character named Llewellyn. Clearly but, you're not Welsh. I, I actually don't know if both words are Welsh, but... Uh, I am uh, like 164th Welsh or something. And that's not enough to know the difference of, between the names, apparently. My my grandfather was called uh, Chudley Long, Albert Chudley Long. Oh. Uh, his father was called Chudley Long, and his father was called Chudley Long, and he emigrated from Wales in 1876. Look at that. I did not know that. I did not know I would learn that today. Yeah. That's cool. How did, when did you learn this history? Have, have you... Did you always know it? Were you born with this knowledge? Oh, a few years ago, an uh, ex-girlfriend of mine did some genealogical research. Because she was looking into you, trying to find the skinny on your history? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, what, to, to find if I was good stock or something. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. She, she, has a, she was a kind of a, a Darwinian. and uh, Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, <laughs> but before we get to the movie, we'll do a quick uh, disclaimer, as usual, that uh, this podcast is sponsored by the American Prospect magazine. If you subscribe at the $10 a month tier, uh, you'll get a free digital subscription uh, to the magazine as well as a discounted print subscription if you want it. Um, if you subscribe at $5, uh, you'll get our bonus episodes. We have an extensive library. Otherwise, rate, review, recommend to your friends, or just listen, whatever you want. It's up and to you. And that's at uh, Patreon backslash left anchor. Is that right? That's right. But yeah, let's, so first, I don't know, first we could talk about Casablanca. Yeah, what's um, it, like an 80-year anniversary this year, that kind of thing? I think so. Yeah, or or, or is it next year? It came year? out, I was going to say, it might have, it came out, I think, actually January of 43. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. next year is the 80th. Square in the middle of World War II, which is yeah. kind of crazy in itself uh, that they right. were uh, making movies. Yeah. And you you recommended a couple of podcasts which I listened to about the uh, movie, which which we'll post those in the description. Um, Ronald Reagan was in; uh, he was going to be the protagonist. He was going to be Rick Blaine right. in the movie, the but but uh, yeah. instead of <laughs> yeah, he went boy. to war instead. Yeah. yeah, he did. Well, uh, yeah, I don't I don't think he actually fought, but he was called yeah. up. Um, gotcha. most people who are called up in World War II did not see combat. I think that's, that's true. You know, there was so much logistics and stuff to do, but at any rate, that would have been a very different movie. Um, yes. Yeah. So maybe to, maybe just to, to set the stage, uh, it, it's a complicated plot and I think maybe, you know, everyone's seen it, but, we, but we can sort of lay the groundwork a little bit in terms of the political con contexts because it's not very obvious to the modern viewer what's going on. Um, it's true. And I think that for, for, you know, Zoomers or something who are watching this for the first time, they might be confused as to, you know, what these people are. So it's Casablanca, which is in Morocco. Uh, it's, it's called Casablanca because of the history of Moorish Spain, I believe. Uh, but it's a French colony at the time. Um, and so it is part of in the movie, which I think is it's set in 1941. So like right. directly before the Pearl Harbor bombing. 
the Pearl Harbor attack. That's actually quite, quite important to the plot. Yeah, because America is not in the war at this point. Um, It's neutral, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's under the government of Vichy France, the, you know, puppet government basically of France. You had occupied France, which is like northern, northern France. And then you had a sort of collaborationist government led by uh, Marshal Pétain um, in uh, southern France that was based in Vichy, which is like a, like a resort town, I think. But regardless, like that's the official government of the, you know, Casablanca, you know, regime, so to speak. And so that's the sort of excuse for the uh, Nazis not being able to do whatever they want, which is a little bit unrealistic, yeah. I think. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, so right. the, the plot centers around um, a couple of basically uh, tr- transit documents. They're, they're, I forget what they're called. Letters of... Tra- uh, the letters of transit, as opposed to, and this is important, uh, they're, again, fictional letters of transit apparently signed by de Gaulle, which means that anyone that fills in their names on them can have free passage uh, to anywhere, but people are go- wanting to go to Lisbon because that's the, the way to get to the, the Americas. Um, there are exit visas this whole time that, that we'll get to talk about that are part of kind of like the black market uh, business world, which is really kind of at the center of the story in many ways. But those exit visas are things that can be controlled by the local kind of uh, head of police who is like the representative um, governing person for Casablanca, you know, the, the, the French, uh, captain Renault, right. Louis yeah. basically Louis. Renault. And so, so he can kind of, uh, allow exit visas to go through or reject them, give them out to who he wants block, but these letters of transit, he has no ability to block that. And therefore the Nazis have, who have influence on him, right. Cause they, as we'll get to, they obviously seem ascendant in power and he is very much aware of who's in power. Um, you know, obviously, they, they want to be able to control who's going in and going out, and we'll get to a, a certain someone in particular. But uh, yeah, th- these these two letters of transit were um, introduced into Casablanca by German couriers who get murdered, and they're stolen from them. Yeah, they're stolen by Peter Lorre. I forget what his name is in the film, um, but he has them and he hides them at. Uh, the, well, he trusts Rick to hide. Them, yeah, right? the, he, the yeah. house of the main character, his bar, um, called Rick's, which has gambling and music. Rick's American. Rick's American. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's that's our main character, Humphrey Bogart, uh, Rick Rick Blaine, who uh, runs this bar in Casablanca, and uh, he gets the letters of transit, and then the question is, what is he going to do with them? And right at that point, uh, more characters arrive. Um, Ilsa, uh, I forget her last name. Does she have? It's like Lund or something. something yeah. Like uh, played by Ing- Ingrid Bergman. Um, absolutely gorgeous. Uh, you know, classic Hollywood um, actress in a lot of just superb films. And then Victor Laszlo, who is... Uh, I'm not sure what the actor's name is, but so he is a, a resistance fighter. He's like a propagandist. Um, and he uh, comes in with his wife, Ilsa. And you uh, you learn later that 
Rick and Ilsa had had a fling in Paris before the Nazi occupation of Paris. Quite uh, a love affair. Yeah. yeah. Right. When, you know, you learn later that, that uh, you know, she thought that her husband was dead, uh, killed by the Nazis. And then later she learns that um, uh, he wasn't. He escaped. Yeah. He yeah. escaped a concentration camp. Yeah. And so, you know, Rick has this chip on his shoulder about being abandoned, you know, that they were going to leave Paris together and they didn't. And so they're unbeknownst to to Rick, she finds out that her, her husband who she thought was dead was actually alive and in Paris. And so she basically doesn't tell that to Rick and just doesn't show when it's time to leave to escape the Nazis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is sort of the drama of the film. So what are we going to do with these letters of transit? Um, is Rick going to take them for himself and Ilsa, or is he going to give them to uh, Victor Laszlo? And uh, you know, it's a it's it, on the surface a kind of kind of corny uh, romantic drama film. You know, it's 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 uh, there's tons of cliches in here. I mean, some of them are from Casablanca becoming incredibly influential Famous. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. in the future, but you know, it's 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 not a, a like sophisticated art film necessarily that this is Hollywood cheese uh, at its core, I think. Uh, but it's, it's still, you know, the, 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 the stakes are real, uh, yeah. you know, in the movie and in real life. Uh, That's right. And it, yeah. and it has an emotional heft to it. I think that that really makes it convincing. It's true. And, and actually I don't think that, I mean, when, when you think about films that are cliche or kind of just, as you say, corny or cloying it's because they they have kind of um these easy resolutions or these kind of uh idealistic or fantastical ways that you could have your your cake and eat it too uh or they really kind of don't delve into the complexities of um love or conflict or kind of life decisions and i think this is where the film is not just complicated from the political context that you discussed, right? But like, I think it's coherent in the themes it explores and is distinct from other films, whether they're war films or, or love stories, in the answers it provides, right? Because uh, this is quite famous, but the the two lovers do not end up together. It is not a, a happy ending in that sense, right? The, the, the reunited lovers do not uh, conquer the Nazis and, and then uh, have have their their love, uh, you know, at least not in in person. There's this this famous line, right? We'll always have Paris, and we could get into the kind of the significance of that, but like. Insofar as the story is about Rick, it seems to me that the big quandary is um, – because, again, we're, this is full of spoilers. Uh, halfway through the film, it becomes clear that that uh, Ilsa is willing to actually um, give up Victor Laszlo, right? Who, who she – I don't know if you think she loves him. She certainly admires him. And insofar yeah. as she loves him, she loves him for – who he represents and what he does politically. Like he's, he's got these virtues of courage and leadership and, and he's on the right side of things, but it's, it's pretty clear. She doesn't connect with him the same way that she connects with Rick and vice versa. He doesn't actually seem as interested in her as Rick seems in her. Right. So like 
basically Rick even prefigures this. He's like, you're going to come up to me at some point and you're just going to like, I know it's going to happen. You're come back to me. Basically our bond is too strong. I know, I know this is going to happen. Like all we have to do is get over this thing you did to me, this betrayal basically. Um, and yet we have to go from the fact that she does that. He's correct to the fact that they don't end up together. And like how that occurs is what's interesting about the film. Yeah. 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 And both, both of them um, say this, you know, you, uh, Ilsa has a little speech where she talks about how she sort of fell for Victor when she was young, you know, oh, right. maybe yeah. even like a teenager or something like this. And that he introduced her to a whole new world of like sophisticated politics and, yeah, and right. ideology and, you know, just like a new world. Uh, it reminds she, like, me grew of, up in a way she, he, he made her into an adult in that sense. Reminds me of a middle March. Uh, the, 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 the character got it for, I forget the, both the protagonist and the, uh, 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 her first marriage to the, to the one yeah. guy, Casa, Casaban. Anyway. Uh, yeah. but it's like, like a, a, a starry eyed girl who falls for a sophisticated older man, you know, because he's so interesting, but without the mature emotional connection. But then, which is, you know, Victor Laszlo is kind of a flat character. He's he's played very well. Yeah. Uh, but he One also dimension. says, yeah. like, he, he knows that they have a thing going on. And he yeah, talks yeah, yeah. to Rick about that, 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 uh, he he asks him whether they had a thing together when, 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 uh, she thought that he was dead and that, you know, she might've been looking for some kind of connection and Rick denies it. But I think both Victor for sure knows that there's, there's some funny business going on and Rick knows that he knows it's just super, (laughs) super obvious. And yet, yeah, as you say, at the end of the film, they choose, you know, to, to part a bittersweet kind of ending where they've kind of reconciled, uh, you know, Rick learns that the context of why she abandoned him in Paris changes everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and she learns that, you know, that this is the, the, the choice that he makes, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sexist. Uh, yeah. Well, in fact, it's sexist because she tells him, I can't think anymore. Can you do the thinking for the both of us? Yes. And then she says, can you, can you think for all of us, which we can get to in a minute, but yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and yet, nevertheless, you know, you can say it's a it's a kind of, you know, a, a heroic choice um, in that, you know, he's she decided gonna, for him earlier in a way. She made a decision for the both of them before. So it's kind of like role reversal now. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you, you could criticize Ilsa's character as being kind of flat uh, and 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 passive, not being uh, super, you know, active yeah. in the plot. But Full agency. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I think, you know. For the 1940s, it's it's not the worst female uh, c- character you could mention. Um, well, but I, I think one more point on on that is that, like, insofar as she is an interesting character, it's because her motives are not the motives. She's only like probably like 24 or something. The way that I figured that out is like. At some point in the film, uh, she talks about 10 years ago, and that's when she was, like, getting braces, basically. Uh, yeah. So, like, she's something around 24. But her motivation to leave Rick 
in Paris before the Nazis make it there and before they would have to flee together. And, and the reason she stays for Victor Lazo is not out of – and I think this is thematically super important. It's not because uh, she loves Victor more now that she's found him um, – alive. She's going to go to him out of love. It's not even out of marital duty. It's not even because, oh, I'm his wife. And, you know, I I, uh, I thought I was widowed. Um, you know, uh, I thought I was a widow, but I'm not actually. It's 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 because she is in some way, I don't, I don't know if it's like his muse would be the right way to say it, but like for some reason that goes kind of unexplained, she is essential to his political success, right? Like somehow yeah. he, he knows it and she knows it. He needs her and the world seemingly at this juncture of time, of time needs him, right? He's also, it's not quite clear why he's so significant, but theoretically it seems this is kind of one of the kind of just, uh, conceits of the movie. Like, just take it for granted that this dude is, like, essential to defeating the Nazis. Somehow. Yeah. He's <laughs> right? the world's greatest poster. <laughs> yeah, it's like he- one of the Hegelian great heroes that's that history is, is uh, uh, or Fortuna is, 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 is ready for, you know? I, I think, you know, the movie sort of flicks at this in its maybe most famous scene um, when they play the Marseillaise, uh, that, that the, the German, the Nazi officers are singing, uh, it's not the German national anthem, but some patriotic, it's it's one of these, you know, German like war song or whatever. And Laszlo walks up to the band at Rick's and he says, play La Marseillaise, play it. And they, the, this is like sort of, maybe start of the turn for Rick's character as he yes. progresses, the the band members look at him and right. he nods and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then they play the Marseillaise, you know, and then of course the whole, uh, you know, band, then the whole bar joins in yeah. and they drown yeah. out the Nazi singing. Which is huge because the whole crowd is including like women that are sleeping with the Nazis. It's people who yeah. uh, are, are, are emblematic of Casablanca generally, which is like, this is a place of neutrality. This is a place to look out for your own interests. This is a place to swindle people, to be a vulture, to be a parasite. Uh, this is, this is not a place to take a stand. This is a place where like, in fact, the two sides, uh, don't have sway. And insofar as they do, it's, it's like indirect. And, and yet, the the music and Victor Laszlo together because I think there is something about 
the power of music, right? Um, they together uh, almost activate what's latently in everyone who, who like deep down, whether or not they're ready to commit to a side, know which side is the good side, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's uh, kind of remarkable, you know, for an American film, how saturated in French imagery that oh, yeah. that this is. It's, uh, I mean, the Marseillaise is the, the sort of theme song at the beginning. And um, well, there's it, no other Americans besides Rick in the film, as far as I can tell. Sam. Sam's, oh, right. the, other Sam's the other one we can That's we right. should talk about Sam a little bit but for sure you know it, it it's all it's it's about a French territory there are a lot of French characters and um the French national anthem is this is the theme of the film and uh you know it, it's sort of uh we should probably mention you know like like this is clearly from a sort of like simple political analysis, like an al- allegory. All the characters are allegories for their yeah, sure. national yeah. uh, context. You have Eastern European resistance guy, Victor Laszlo. You have yeah. um, American uh, Rick Blaine, who's sort of on the fence about whether we're going to join. You have the right. evil Nazi guy. You have the French collaborator, uh, Reynal, who... And then refugees, a bunch, of, a bunch of refugees. Yeah, yeah. Refugees from all over the place. Um a very cosmopolitan city, uh, Casablanca, as it turns right. out. It's true. Um, and yeah, you know, so, so that, uh, that, that political dynamic, you know, in the context of a war that is ongoing, um, you know, I think makes it an incredibly powerful piece of basically anti-fascist propaganda. You know, it's like these, all the peoples of the world have to unite against this just vicious, horrible regime that's going to, you know, ruin that's right. everything. Um, yeah, that's right. I think Laszlo says something like, you know, it's like, why do you do it? It's like, I, if, if I don't, you know, if I don't stop fighting, I'll die. Uh, uh, Breathing, yeah. If I don't stop breathing, I'll die. If we don't stop fighting, the world will die. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Um, and yeah. it, you know, it, it, the, 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 it, it, it would be cheap in a different context. You know, if you made this about like you know space Hitler on the moon or something, but like this is <laughs> real. This is yeah, real in real life. People the war were, was ongoing. The U.S. had just entered the war when it got released, or, or, or you know, not not that long uh, before, right? Yeah. And uh, a, a bunch of the characters in the film and the extras were refugees. I learned that from the right. podcast you, you pointed there's, out. There's only like three actual, uh, let's see, not three actual Americans that act in the film, I think. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And the, in, the, in that scene in the Marseillaise, the, the woman who has been, you know, who's been uh, sleeping with the Nazi, uh, <laughs> another yeah. kind of problematic trope there. But th- those are real tears of that when right. she cries at the at the this the song because it was you know she she That's really real. had been exiled from her her uh, yeah. homeland as a result of this right. terrible uh, conflict. And the politics are even better yet because Rick's character, um, as much as he tries to seem neutral and is neutral at the start of the film it becomes evident that not only did he fight uh, against the fascists in the, in, in the Spanish civil war. Uh, right. But he, he also fought uh, for Ethiopia, an anti-colonial fight, you know, and, yeah. and, and Ilsa kind of says, you're always on the side of the underdog. Um, so even though colonial France is kind of like, 
in in a sense they're the good guys in in a way insofar as they're not uh co-opted by the nazis yet um and it's french nationalism in a way that the song represents there is still an anti-colonial kind of undercurrent as as well as an anti-fascist one yeah i mean you it's it's certainly blind to the context of French colonialism that like you know yeah. the Morocco and Algeria were were terribly oppressed and West Africa and whatnot, um, yep. but it uh, you, you know it, it shows you what it's like to be colonized by hostile foreign power. You know Vichy being this puppet government and yep. Nazi Germany sort of coming in and 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 stomping around and telling everyone what to do. You know that's what it's like. And yeah. maybe they weren't even aware of this at the time, but you know, you you could put a read on this to be like, no, look, this th- you you think that you know European colonialism is you know uh, some kind of you know we're teaching the the barbarians about civilization or whatever. But no, this this is what it's like. Right. The Strasser, the Nazi uh, you know commandant guy who comes right. in and and tells everyone what to do. That's what it's really like, and. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's got a lot of good readings on it. Um, we should talk a little bit about a couple of characters, I think. Uh, first one, Sam, we mentioned Sam. Um, Sam is the, he's the black, uh, piano player. Yeah. Uh, he was, a a a drummer, apparently he, that's not really playing the piano, but he is really singing, uh, apparently a, a, an excellent singer. Um, and so he is Rick's kind of Samwise Gamgee, basically. Uh, his, yeah, he, he, he's his employee, but, but they also have a clear kind of bond of, of friendship that goes back to when their time in Paris. And, and interestingly, he also see, obviously plays like an almost strangely intimate part in the romance between Ilsa and yeah. Rick, right? He plays the song uh, played against Sam. That's not actually in the movie, but the song that that they associate with Paris. um, As time goes by. As time goes by. When Ilsa comes to the bar, she asks him to play it. And Rick gets very upset because he's so wounded. You know, he's a jilted uh, lover and he doesn't like that song. And after she comes, he gets drunk. and And then Sam comes and is trying to tell him to, you know, to, to go to bed. Uh, and he right. won't do it. So that's where he says, uh, if you could play it for her, you can play it for me. And he, he wants it, yeah. that song. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you can certainly read in that uh, relationship between Rick and Sam a lot of problematic black-white shit yeah. from the right. 1940s. Um, but, you know, they have a... A real relationship, and I th- I think the only, you know, Sam genuinely l- looks after him, you know, when when uh, he delivers the note from Ilsa saying, I'm not coming with you in Paris, and That's he right. yeah. coaxes Rick onto the train to get out of there. Um, I think the falsest note for me in the whole film, actually, is that Sam is just left uh, by the side of this. Yes. About yeah. middle, you know, he, Rick sells the bar to uh, an, another Ferrari. bar. Yeah. Yeah. Guy. And uh, at the end, it's just Renault and and Rick out going yeah, to fight true. the fascists. And 
Where's yeah, Sam? Sam? Sam should be right there. Like the, his yeah. whole character yeah. is yeah. this yeah. loyal subordinate and that that he isn't with the two of them. I I thought that was a kind of a false note. That's true, especially because, you know, midway through the film, uh, Ferrari keeps trying to take over Rick's business from him. And, and Rick is like, I'll never sell. You know, I don't care how much money you offer me. But at some point when Rick has hatched this plan, um, he, you know, does sell his, you know, cafe, but, but, uh, but back when Ferrari was trying to buy it, buy it from him earlier in the story, he tries to buy Sam basically. Yeah. Hire him and, away. And, and yeah, hire him away. And, and I mean, one good thing that, uh, at least shows that the dynamic isn't too terrible between, uh, Rick and Sam is that Sam doesn't make a decision for him. He says, why don't you ask Sam, you know? Yeah. And, Rick doesn't um, make that. Yeah. Rick says, decision, yeah. yeah. Go ask Sam. So Ferrari uh, goes and asks him, and Sam says no. And Rick then says, "But but he'll pay you twice what I pay you." And then Sam has a line, which is probably disingenuous, that about, "Well, I can't even spend the money I'm making here." But but obviously, the, the clear implication is that he doesn't do it for the money. He actually stays there because of his bond with Rick, right? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, Rick, I'm glad you took care of the guy and made sure that that like. You know, when you transfer the business that Ferrari looks out for him, but it seems like he wasn't just interested in a nice paying job. He's your friend. And why is he being left to the, to the side here? But, but like that is one of the false notes in part because the story is very much, it seems to me about the bonds of affection, uh, as Aristotle might say, that sustain a true polis or, or a true community and like, Casablanca, as we start the film, is a place where everyone's out for themselves. You have kind of like the pickpockets who are warning people of being vultures as they pick their pockets. You have everyone, you know, there's a lot of venality. There's gambling. Everyone's making money. Even even Rick, you know, is making money off of people with the, the booze and the gambling and all that. Um, but like what sustains the story is the feelings of duty, not just politically to the world at large, but to um, – you know, to Louis and to Sam and, um, and in a way there's a shift to a kind of non-romantic love for, for Ilsa. Um, I, I really do think there's something being said about like the kind of love that fits with, um, with justice. Right. And, and, and in, Insofar as like personal love can be selfish and maybe isn't love at all because of how it's about what I'm gaining or I'm losing, um, a, a love that permits someone to be lost that you would have preferred to stay, uh, that kind of loss can sustain community, can sustain um, justice, can sustain um, those ills that, that were first introduced to, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, as we as we close out our Casablanca discussion, I think we we got to talk a little bit about uh, Captain Reynaud, yeah, who for sure. I th- I think is my favorite character in the in the film. So <laughs> yeah. the, he's we mentioned him a, a little bit in passing, but he is a Vichy official. He's like a police a police captain, I guess, and yeah. he is just openly corrupt. He's he says he's corrupt. Um, right. He's very charming. He's, he's, he's funny. Um, he's but, kind of in love with Rick, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You, you could put a, you could, I think the like queer theorists have put a, a, a reading on this where 
uh, Rick ab- abandons his, uh, you know, female lover to uh, shack up with uh, Captain Ray. No, that at the end, the, Louis, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And Raynaud actually says uh, towards the beginning, like if, if I were a woman and uh, Rick is a type of man, I would be in love with him. That's right. Yeah. And earlier than that, he's jealous when he sees uh, a woman kind of going after Rick and, and he's kind of, you know, asking Rick about his various women and so forth and joking, joking with him about that. Um, but and, he, and he, he just, is a, he, he, but he's allowed himself, like he's a ladies man himself, but oh, in a yeah. ter- terrible I mean, way, right? Yeah. Of, of genuinely bad person. Yes. Um, yes. And at least in the beginning of the film, you know, he's, 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 uh, cheating at the you know gambling table, and he is oh, yeah. uh, uh, coercing women into sex yes. to get those for the ex- for, for the exit visas that he controls. Yes, exactly. And there's a the one of the scenes in the film is um, the the uh, one of those women. Yeah, Bulgarian the, woman. Who's Bulgarian woman. She, yeah. she the, a lot of great little side performances yeah, in this movie. That was she, tremendous. I she's thought. got a really excellent one. Uh, what does she say? Like things are very bad in Bulgaria. The devil has the people by the throat, and yeah. like it, it's and that, that is punch. absolutely the case in Bulgaria in 1942 yeah. or 41. Yeah. Um, and so she weaves it together in this talk with Rick because what what she's doing with Rick is is asking him if she can trust Captain Raynaud. But like it's a brilliant passage where she's talking about the political realities and the desperation. At the same time, she's talking about this promise and reading between the lines, she's telling Rick that like Louis ha- has promised us an exit visa if I sleep with him. But but she says it in this oblique kind of way where, where she's like, is it basically, is it forgivable to do a terrible thing, you know, to the one you love, but you're doing it because you want to save but the both of you, right? Like it's, it's, she sees it as necessity and she, she's like, you know, really distraught over it. And of course this is like triggering for Rick, right? Yeah. Uh, and you know, but a it's very, a brilliant. Scene. Yeah. They're both, she says he's very young. He doesn't know about these matters and yeah, Rick yeah. sort of his jaw tightens and, yeah. and the, 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 the husband, uh, this young man is out losing all of his money at the roulette table, and Rick goes in and he, you know, tells the yeah. the croupier wink, or whatever wink. to 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 yeah. rig the there's a little button or whatever, and yeah. gets him his money so that he can pay off. Uh, yeah, so she doesn't have to sleep with Louis. Yeah, yeah. Which is the first one of the one of the few signs early on that Rick says he's neutral, but he's not actually so neutral, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But Ray, no, at the end. Uh, you know, yeah. Rick tricks him into thinking that he's going to set up Victor Laszlo and he doesn't, he's setting up, uh, he, he both, he, he can, he initially tells Renault that he's setting up so that he and Ilsa can leave, but then he l- switches again and it's just for Victor and Ilsa to leave. And it would have helped Louis if he had done the thing he lied about, because that would have gotten Louis the chance to uh, arrest um, Victor Laszlo for having the transit papers, which would, would put him in, in good rapport with the Nazis. Yeah. And in the, the, the final scene of the film, Strasser, the Nazi, comes in and they're taking off in the plane and he's going to call the radio tower to stop it. 
and uh, Rick shoots him. And uh, at that moment, you know, the the gendarmes pull up or whatever from the Morocco. They've got the fez. And there's a, there's a scene where, you know, yeah. it's it's not clear what Raynaud is going to do. Yeah. Is he going to turn it? You know, is he going to say, like, this guy shot this guy right here? And he yeah. doesn't. He says... That's another famous line, round up the usual suspects. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Which is turning on its head. The corruption earlier is when actually the uh, the guy that had stolen the transit letters and murdered the German couriers, um, it's, it's kind of like dark humor. But like when, when uh, I forget who asked like what happened to him, uh, you know, Louis says, well, we're, we're, we're still trying to determine if he committed suicide or if he was shot, you know, trying to fleeing. escape trying to escape, which basically says like they use the cover of law to just kill people or do what they want to. Right. Yeah. And here he's doing that again, but this time um, against the Nazis and to save Rick, Rick who had just put a gun on him and, and betrayed him. Uh, so that's interesting. Like what, why, right? What did he do it for love? Did he do it because he was inspired the way that, uh, you know, Ilsa had been inspired by Victor or that anyone might be inspired by somebody doing something sacrificial and courageous for a cause greater than themselves. What's the reason that this guy who like Rick supposedly was not just neutral, but just looking out for themselves and, and being a grifter and being like, I never stick my out, my, my nose out for anyone or my neck out for anyone. And in fact, the, the line that really solidifies this in the film is Rick's line that like, um, you know, the only cause is myself and, and then I think Louis says that's a great foreign policy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Nazi asked him, what's your, na ask Rick, what's your nationality? And he says, I'm a drunkard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? What, what turns Louis around at the end there? I think it's uh French patriotism. He, he says to Rick, uh, you, what is it? Uh, You've not only become a sentimentalist, you become a patriot. And oh, he's right. pouring himself a, a drink of water uh, from a bottle, and the bottle says Vichy water on it. I don't yeah. know, the Vichy, like, springs or whatever. And yeah. he looks at it, and he throws it in the garbage. Yeah. And it's just yeah. it's just too much for him, you know? It's like his, his inner moral core has been exposed, uh, and, and he's just decided... No, we're gonna uh, we're gonna throw in with the with yeah. the allies, and that's the discussion there. You know, we're uh, we've yeah. got ten thousand dollars that uh, Raynaud <laughs> owes him right, from so a bet right. whether or not Victor Lazo was going to Would escape, escape, yeah. and that'll you know get them into you know presumably Africa somewhere where they can you know, join the resistance, basically. It, it does strike me, though, that, like, if you think about all the neutral people in the in the bar who suddenly start singing as soon as Victor Laszlo has a courageous, like, leadership moment, and then Louis changes sides as soon as, you know, Rick has this leadership courageous moment, I do think there's this Arentian notion of power. It's It's power is a collective plural thing, but, like, action is a singular thing. When somebody acts in a moment... Uh, where you don't know what's going to happen, where you kind of leap into the unknown and, and you do something that then becomes uh, heroic. You could be, become heroic and there's stories told about it and so forth. Anyway, I, I think it was a great film. I'm really glad I saw it again for the first time in a while. Uh, I think it's one that ages really well, actually, except for the, you know, uh, sexist, racist uh, elements, which, as you said, for the time are, I think, not even par for the course. But 
um, you know, yeah. minimal compared to the kind of like good politics and, and other themes. Um, minor, yeah, I, minor problems. Yeah. Now go ahead. Last thoughts. No, I, I, I would just agree. You know, it's, it's an excellent film, you know, Hollywood at its absolute peak performance. Um, and you know, it's, it survived this long for, for a lot of reasons, but you know, it's, it's just a great watch. I've seen it probably, I don't know, 50 times maybe. Um, I'm a, I'm a real heads. No, I'm a big Humphrey Bogart fan. So I've seen, you know, most of the. Humphrey Bogart movies like multiple times, even the crummy <laughs> 1920s ones. Yeah. Uh, but this one legit stands up. And I think it's more relevant now than it has been in a long time. Um, you know, the, 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 you can't be neutral on a moving train, baby. Pick a side. So, yes. you know, no such thing as neutrality. No such thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. As one of your, your, uh, those podcasts said, him being neutral was basically yeah. serving the Nazis, just right. running his bar and not upsetting any of the powers that be. He was yep. he was helping Strasser, and he eventually, you know, couldn't do that anymore. Shall we talk uh, inside the yeah. well in Davis? Now, I want to say to start this conversation, I'm going to ask you what you thought, because this is one that I, a film that I love, I've seen several times, but Ryan had not seen before I, I uh, recommended it. And so I, I didn't know if, if, uh, if you would think it worthy to discuss. Um, uh, and maybe we could even, you know, talk if there's connections we can draw thematically or, or otherwise, but, um, but just first, you know, give me your, your, your initial thoughts on the film. Um, for those that don't know, it's uh, unlike the last one, which was, um, you know, s- took place in 1941 uh, this film takes place in 1961 in, I think, Greenwich Village for the most part and other parts of New York City. The kind of folk scene there, it's a Coen Brothers film. Um, and it was made, I don't know, 10 years ago. I'm not sure. 2013. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So almost 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. So what were you expecting and what were your initial thoughts? I wasn't expecting much. Uh, I didn't know anything about it other than you know oscar isaacs plays a character who is a folk singer folk singer down on his luck um and that part was uh incredibly fulfilled uh did you know he 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 performed all those songs live in one one take yeah well i uh i can i can believe that it, it it the 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 music was excellent um isn't it phenomenal yeah i would say as a movie it it, it was a i don't know it, it it didn't quite connect with me exactly um yeah. you know so oscar isaac he he it's a sort of loop movie you learn spoiler alert at the like it starts at the, at the end, end of yeah. the film and um you know, works, works forward to that point. Uh, and, you know, basically he's a, you know, a, a singer, a folk musician who is trying to sort of make it in the business and is failing spectacularly. Uh, he's, he doesn't have a place to live. He's just, uh, going Couch from, surfing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Going from place to place, classic starving artist, Apparently, he may have uh, impregnated his friend, uh, who is also 
the wife of Justin Timberlake, uh, who is in <laughs> yeah. the film. Yeah. I forget his name. Jack. Jim. So it's J- Jim. Jim and Jean. Jim and Jean are, are the couple. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, j- just flopping and flailing. Uh, and they're also musicians. Incredibly be. self-sabotaging character. He <laughs> He's staying with uh, his most reliable couch surfing. Um, right. Friends are a couple of professors. One yes, of the in the Upper Columbia. West Side. Yeah, yeah, and they're the like Gorefines. They're yeah, the Gorefines. And at the beginning of the movie, he's leaving their apartment after staying on their couch, and their cat gets out, and he. Uh, they're not there. He's there, and so he's kind of responsible for the cat while he's staying there, and he lets it out, and then the door closes behind him, and so you know can't go yeah. put the cat back in, right? And then he goes to another friend's, he goes to, to Jim and Jean's house, and then the cat escapes, and yeah, yeah, he can't yeah. find it. Uh, and, you know, uh, that, that he goes back later in the film to, to them again, and I think it's made clear that he could, he could stay with them as long as he wanted to, because they are wealthy, you know, they're, they're college professors, and yep. they, you know, have enough scratch and they're very f- friendly towards him. You yes. know, they're, they're hospitable. Yeah. yeah. Hospitable, but he kind of can't accept their hospitality that, that yeah. I think that's yeah. a cl- uh, common theme that, that yes. he is constantly, uh, you know, being cruel and terrible to the people that help him the most. All right. This is where I'm going to jump in. So I'm okay. going to defend him. I'm going to defend him. But I think you've laid out enough of the plot because it's not a super plot driven film, right? I, like, no, he, he da- goes to super talented, we should say super talented folk singer who importantly used to be in a duo, a, a folk singer duo, right? A yes. guitarist, folk singer. And, and his friend recently committed suicide. His friend, his good friend and partner uh, committed suicide. And that this is like super important to the plot because he's literally now forced to be a solo act. And that's part of, uh, I mean, his journey is not just the problems of making it in the folk music scene without his partner, but dealing with the grief in a time where part of his assholishness maybe is, uh, you know, probably gender gendered, uh, ways that men in the 1960s were unable to really process that kind of trauma and emotion, I would say. Yeah. 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 And, and, Oh, to just wrap the plot up a little bit. Uh, he he's bouncing around New York. He gets a uh, a trip to Chicago, and uh, with this uh, heroin junkie, jazz musician, and beat poet, who is sort of interestingly played by the same actor who played uh, Dean Moriarty in the On the Road film that was a little bit before this, I believe. Um, but, uh, he ends, you know, goes to Chicago, uh, has an audition or he plays a song for a famous, like, like, manager. yeah, manager guy. It's a total flop. Uh, and he, oh, see, the, just, the song is, is great. But what the, what the guy says is, I don't see any money here. Yeah. There's and, not a lot of money here. Yeah. Yeah. Queen Jane, 
I don't see a lot of money here. And so I mean, he ends up going. back in back New York and, you know, just, you know, being an asshole to his friends again. And <laughs> okay, I, I got to stop you. I got to so. stop you. I have to, I have to cut in because uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's basically the plot. But like, there seems to me, the reason I chose this film is because it, it, it is um, not just because I, I think the character is, is a little more complex than, than that. And I, I have sympathies with him. Um, in, in fact, my, my, view of some of the characters uh, changed with different viewings. I'll get into that. But like, I think that this film displays the way that capitalism is so destructive of anyone who doesn't uh, try to play the game and, and is uh, destructive of relationships, of community, uh, of, of the soul, because um, – so much of the plot is pro- propelled by the, the abortion that he thinks um, – well, not that he thinks, but that he needs to secure for Jean because, as she says to him, when she rips him to shreds, uh, you know, she would love to have Jim's baby. But because, you know, everything he touches turns to shit, uh, you know, she's not sure if it's his or Jim's. And so she needs the abortion. By the way, that scene, like this is when I when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, she is terribly cruel and lacks any responsibility for her part in the affair, right? Just totally taking it out on him and making him um kind of the 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 fuck up that that is responsible not just for his failures, but for, you know, it, it's like being around him makes other people have bad luck or something, not just his own life, right? Um and I think, you know, early on in the film when he, he tries to call, I, I, I think the film shows him to be actually quite a responsible person who is trying at all times to do the right thing. Okay. So like immediately he finds out she's pregnant. Okay. I got to get the, I got to get the abortion. I've got to f- come up with money. And like the fact that he needs to come up with the money and he has none is what propels him into so many other, you know, problems. Right. Um, 
And so he he takes responsibility for that. The cat gets out. He takes responsibility for that. It's absurd. He's got basically, you know, his guitar and the cat and he needs to make money and he's got to deal with those situations. And so he calls, tries to call the the Gorfines, you know, at Columbia and um, the person mishears him. He says, I have the Gorfine's cat. And the person repeats back to him, you, you are the Gorfine's cat, <laughs> right? Uh, which, which is, the, I think, the Coen brothers being clever because, like, you know, the cat symbolizes him, right? Uh, that This cat without a home that, like, is kind of lost and gets itself into trouble, but no one really takes care of, right? And um, the cat is unnamed for the whole film until the end where it's revealed that the cat's name is Ulysses, right? Which is, like... The Odyssey, the story of homecoming, right? Um, and as he tries to get the money, not just to survive, but to pay for the abortion, right? Uh, he's screwed over by his shitty manager. He's screwed over, uh, even when he has good luck, his buddy Jim that looks out for him and gets him this gig to do with Jim and this other guy, uh, where they're basically doing this kind of, um, you know, please, Mr. Kennedy, this, this kind of pop song almost for, for an ad, like an advertisement, if you will, uh, which he kind of looks down on because he is not actually trying to be famous. He, he has this real, I think, authentic respect for folk music, which is defined at the beginning by him as, uh, something that's never new and never gets old. It was never new and never gets old, right? Which, by the way, in, in ancient philosophy is what the eternal is, what the soul is. It's something that, was never born and never dies, right? And so this is music inside Llewellyn Davis that comes from the soul, folk music that comes from the soul, right? Uh, and he, so he pours himself out, right? But, but in capitalism, he's trying to do the thing, the only thing it seems like that can, um, bring him joy that, that feels like he has to do because it's his, it's his art. But also at other times, he's like, this is just how I make a living. You know, don't, I'm not your, he says, you know, I'm not your trained, uh, you know, poodle or whatever, you know, to the Gorfians when they demand that he plays. Uh, and then when the, the wife kind of insensitively starts singing the, the dead partner's part, you know? Um, and so like he gets this lucky break with this gig, but this is the part where the capitalist system comes into play for me. One of many parts, right? Besides the fact that there's not a welfare state where like you can have housing and healthcare and like your basic needs met and then go play your music. So besides not having that, he has a manager. He's talented. Because he would need his manager to give permission in order to get um, proper payment with royalties, he could. He instead is forced to because he doesn't have time for that because he needs to pay for the abortion, right? Uh, he... <laughs> He instead is offered the chance to, to do it as an independent contractor, which means he gets 200 bucks right now, but no royalties. Well, later on in the film, it is suggested that this is, this becomes a huge hit and he could have made a ton of money off of it, right? But because, and I mean, to me, this is capitalism because of the exigencies and the needs of, of people who need money now, like payday loans or whatever, right? That, People are fucked over time and time again, even when they would have been lucky. Like even when chance would have smiled upon them, even then, because of the way that that poverty functions in, in a capitalist society, he he doesn't even catch the break that he caught. You know what I mean? Um, and then to add insult to injury, it turns out he doesn't even need the money for the abortion because the doctor is going to credit him an abortion because his ex from two years ago who didn't tell him that she actually had the baby. So he's got a two-year-old kid in Akron, Ohio <laughs> that he doesn't know about, right? 
Um, and so like for me that this guy who I expected to be an asshole after reading the reviews before I saw the film is this, this sympathetic guy. He, he doesn't want to just exist as he tells his sister and end up like his dad who's alone in a, in a nursing home and seems like a miserable asshole. Right. Uh, and and, suggested he has dementia or something. He like, it like soils himself while, uh, Llewellyn is playing him a song. But also that the discussion of the father earlier suggests that he was probably a prick to him. It sounds like yep. there was no real, yeah. And so this is a guy whose sister kind of treats him like shit, whose who's, you know, only other relative has dementia and was a terrible father. Uh, his friends, as you say, they give him a place to live, but he gets kind of like a lot of shit from them or they try to use him. They're not like super sensitive to the fact that his friend and partner committed suicide recently and so like this is a guy he's trying to be responsible for himself and for his mistakes and find himself and make his way in the world which is changing to be a place that respected folk music to a place that rewards as the kind of um you know the cafe uh, owner manager says this kind of scumbag character who says that like people love jim and gene because the guys come in and they want to fuck Gene, but then some guys come in and they want to fuck Jim, <laughs> Justin Timberlake, right? <laughs> and, and, and so you have this kind of shift to a time where um, money is going to reward people in the music industry who aren't just talented, but who appeal to people in, in, in terms of sex appeal, in terms of like music you could sing a lot along to more than pouring your heart and soul out on the stage, right? And so he's kind of being left behind. There's all this change happening. Um, and yet he's trying to navigate his way through all this. And so I found him to be like a super sympathetic character who like, sure, he's a jerk here and there. He heckles this one woman after he finds out that the, the, the cafe manager slept with Jean. Um, although that's interesting because she slept with him in order to get, you know, uh, Lewin, uh, another chance to perform. Right. Uh, so, so like, I think yeah. there's a lot going on here thematically. Yeah, there's there's another part of the the money question that that you didn't mention, which which is uh, that that he has a, a previous uh, working career in the merchant marine, um, and he doesn't want to go back to doing it. He wants to be a musician, but there eventually he gives up and he he goes. After he fails in Chicago, after he's told, after he pours his soul out, right, you know, to, to that manager who said, play me something from inside Llewellyn Davis, which is Llewellyn Davis, which was his self-titled, you know, uh, record, but also metaphorically, play me something from the soul. And he does it. He pours his whole soul out and then just says, well, I don't see a lot of money in it. And he gives him the advice. You know what? I recommend uh, you, you go back and work with your partner. Yeah. <laughs> And isn't that just capitalism telling you, you know what, you know what you need? I'll give you some good advice. Do the thing that's impossible. <laughs> yeah. And, and so he's, he's like, oh, I've just got to get a job again. That's right. This is part politically a little bit problematic, but I think ties into what you were saying. So he, he has to go to the union um, yeah. and he's in arrears with his union dues. His dues he yeah, owes yeah. them 180 bucks or something. And so he takes the, the $200 that he had made from doing that cheese ball, John Kennedy song, uh, and gives it to the union. Then he finds out that his sister has thrown away his credentials, his, uh, pilot's license and whatever else. And so he goes to get that again and that costs more money. Um, and so, you know, 
you don't like it's it, the the union people are sort of the villain in this situation but but i think the the general uh sense that it's the obstacle the money that that makes him right. unable to like uh you know get be able to support yep. himself uh yeah. the, and he's trying to do the thing with the merchant marines in order to make money and 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 he can't even get the money in order to make the money right yeah he asked them you know it's like can't you just deduct the money for my, for first, my first paycheck week. and they say no he's like i'm not going anywhere you've got me on the ship you know like yeah yeah, yeah. and and that yeah that that definitely ties into you know you see a man who is harassed by need at all right. uh you know at every corner, he doesn't have a yep. place to obstacle live. He doesn't have obstacle. a reliable source of income, and um, yeah, it, it, it the 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 desperation created by yeah. a capitalist He's, society. He that, says at one point, I, "I'm so tired. I thought I just needed a, a good night's sleep, but it's something more than that." Right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Your your comments like the 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 thing that made me sort of start to dislike this guy was when they're they're on the trip to Chicago. Yeah. And uh Llewellyn, he lost the cat as I said before. Yeah. And then he looked out the window when he was talking to his uh friend that he accidentally impregnated maybe. Yeah. Uh and he sees another cat. Uh, the looks Which he exactly, thinks is the same. Yeah, yeah. He thinks it's the same. Yeah. He thinks it's the same. It looks the same. An orange tabby cat. And he goes and picks it up and uh, he takes it back to the Gor- Gorvich's house. Gorfine's, yeah. Gorf- Gor- Gorfine's house. And, th- and they discover, after he's been a huge dickhead to uh, the yeah. wife, that it's not the same cat. There's no That's scrotum. Right. Where's yes. where's the great scrotum? line? A kind of hilarious line. She's just screaming. <laughs> yeah. There's no scrotum. <laughs> but so so then he goes on this trip to Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, the jazz musician guy John Goodman has a heroin overdose in the bathroom, and then they're sleeping by the side of the road, and the cops pull up, and the and the driver Johnny is arrested by classic asshole cops. Yeah, right. You know who just like. They 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 arrest him for sassing the police basically. Yeah, and they but drive away with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He leaves the cat, and there's, yeah, and the, so no this keys. cat that there's he no he took car. off yeah. the streets of New York yeah. and you know is there in the middle of the wilderness, right? And he, he it. Yeah. leaves it there. Um, it's looking at him, and there's like a little little paw moment. movement. You being like, are, yeah. are we are yeah. we going somewhere now? Yeah, yeah. And he, he leaves, leaves it. it. And, um, you know, later when he's coming back from Chicago and he's hitchhike, he hitchhikes with somebody and then he hits a cat, uh, and there's blood on the bumper of the car and he sees a cat that is limping and he leaves again. Yeah. And that, you know, that to me, I, I, I would like to hope that I couldn't do something like that. Like, I don't yeah. think I could leave an animal that I had made dependent on myself. But you, I think you also see, you know, he didn't do that at the start. 
you know, when when the f- the first time that that he yeah, accidentally he took it on the subway, he took it, you know, he took it all the way to another apartment, and then he yeah. chased it again. He's continually chasing after it, right? And yeah, maybe that's a you know the way that sort of the the capitalist money, you know, you think, oh God, I'm going to pick this cat up, and then I'm going to have to take you know to like yeah. find a place for it in Chicago, and it's like it's going to be burdensome and expensive <laughs> for me, and yeah, and. Yeah. Well, He's just, it's, a, it's like, I give I up. I hear you. I hear you. Here's my thought, a few thoughts on that. Because I, I had the same feeling when I watched it uh, initially. Uh, and the more I watched it, uh, two things, you know, stood out to me. One, the cop that took away the driver, it's the middle of the night in the middle of the highway in like freezing cold weather. Yeah. Uh, the, the keys were with the guy that got arrested. So there's no keys. Um, so he does when he makes it to a coffee shop, like look, try to look up the, um, the police station to call. Cause like, you know, he, he, there's a, the guy passed out in the car and the cat, right? Like somebody's got to attend to this car. Right. Yeah. Like, and so he does try to be responsible and try to make a phone call or whatever, you know, cause his other option is to take this cat in the freezing cold and walk to wherever with his guitar in one arm and the cat in the other. And like, the other thing though, is that like, there's a suspension of disbelief one, because like, how is this cat appearing everywhere? And how is it in the middle of, of the highway being hit on the way to Chicago? How is it turning up? And, and I think like, this is the one part where, you know, they tell you early on Lewin is the cat. And so like, I think you have to think of the cat metaphorically. Right. And, and like the, his relationship with the cat is his relationship with himself, I think. Right. Because mm-hmm. the cat doesn't have a name, doesn't have a name. Who am I? Right. Who's the cat? Who am Until I? Until the right? end. Until the end. And, and the cat's name is Ulysses. It's somebody who had to go on a journey to find home, to find himself, to, 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 to find his friends again. Because at the end, he reconciles with the Gorfiends. He, he reconciles even with Gene. And, and this was huge for me because I thought Gene was just a terrible person who was giving him all the blame for something being very cruel to him. But then when I saw it again, I noticed that like, not only did she sacrifice um, and sleep with that terrible, scummy owner of, of the cafe in order to get him a gig, but she, the way she treats him when he's come back from this trip from, from Chicago and he's so tired and exhausted, he's given up. He's going to go back to the merchant Marines. Um, she basically tells him, and earlier she was telling him that he should be like her. Like she's a kind of careerist. She, we think doesn't, doesn't seem like she really loves Jim. She's kind of with Jim. Uh, I don't know, maybe for convenience, they kind of play together and they're moving up in the, in the, in the singing world. And he clearly knows how to make smart moves. Cause he's the one that got the advertisement song that went big. So she's like, you know, admittedly looking for the future, looking for to move to the suburbs, have some kids and all this, but she clearly is, is in love or was in love with Lewin. Right. And so it was all this hate and all this anger, but then by the end, she's kind of tender with him when she sees how defeated he is and actually doesn't tell him to be practical and reasonable, but tries to tell him, no, you know, have some hope. You know, if you go perform again, that might make the difference. And like, you know, he finally says to her, I love you in that scene, right? <laughs> is the first time he admits his feelings, like this tough masculine guy who has no scrotum, right? This, this critique of this guy, right? Who's like not a real, he's not a man. He's not responsible. He's not paying the bills. He's, you know, he's got to try to take care of the abortion. He's got to be a man. He's got to be, you know, have a career. This guy, you know, actually becomes more of a man when he admits that he loves her and tells her that in that scene, I think. 
And then he apologizes to the Gorefiends at the end. And I feel like even though this the film kind of ends at the beginning um, and he, he gets beat up for being the dick that he was the night before when he was upset because he learned his buddy slept with Gene, not his buddy, but the scummy guy. Uh, I think even though he's still alone, he's now a, still a solo act, he has somehow come to terms with himself. He He now has... He, he has an, the, as the cat has a name and he's now in the same relationships, but in a way that's kind of reconciled to what he's lost and, and, and where he's at and, and what he'll never be, which should we say, big spoiler here, he'll never be Bob Dylan, who is like the kind of mystery performer at the very end, right? That comes yeah. in at the end. Yeah. You see somebody doing a Bob Dylan impression with a harmonica there and that. Who picks that, up his uh, guitar and performs of like the same kind of song, like the same lyrics, but different in the Bob Dylan style. You know, he, he forges a new path, right? But like, you know, in capitalism, the difference between a megastar who becomes a multimillionaire and a guy who can't make it at all, like razor thin difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many Bob Dylans did we lose? You know, we have the Bob Dylan that got famous. How many of similar talents and soul ended up like Lewin Davis, right? Yeah. Anyway, those are the reasons that I, I, I found the film very moving and interesting. I'd be interested to watch it again. You know, I, it yeah, didn't yeah. strike me. I, I didn't hate it. Um, yeah. I thought it, it was, it was stimulating and interesting and, yeah. you know, maybe just because I have a cat that I <laughs> yeah, that was very, um, yeah. transported across the country multiple times. Yeah. Um, yeah. that I was, watch those scenes. I was yeah. very, you know, I was triggered by those scenes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what, what you said about, uh, the, the, I think that, that that's basically correct. The, the way that, uh, you know, the structure of the capitalist economic system it's just it's it's just bearing down like an anvil on this guy and you know the 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 way the if it were a little a little bit easier i think i think that you know on reflection is maybe the more most interesting part about it to me how like these decisions are made you know in economic terms on the margin you yeah. know you you have people making decisions be like oh like oh uh, yeah. uh okay i'll go this I'll take way the money now way. no no royalties I'll, you know yeah i need the money yeah yeah exactly and that and that if if people just had a little a little bit more economic security if 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 they were not living paycheck to paycheck it would be a totally different situation for those uh people and um yeah, no, I, I think I, I think I agree. I, I'd like to watch it again. You know, maybe yeah, we can I, return to this. In I would a, love in to watch it again uh, sometime and talk about it with you. You know, uh, for me, it was. I expected that I couldn't watch it again because I thought maybe it would be too sad. But the more I watch it, the less I feel like it's a sad movie. Ultimately, even though there's you know trauma and suicide and like broken relationships and and, and all this despair. But somehow the vibe has maybe it's because of the beauty of the folk music. It, it it doesn't feel like a desperate film or a film where that leaves you sad. You know, it feels like the the beauty of humanity is somehow there. You know what I mean? Yeah, the music is excellent. I will I will say that for sure. 
And I mean, I'm very impressed with uh, Os- Oscar Isaac. Yeah, oh, and, the, and the rest of them, he's tremendous. Yeah, even the Kennedy goofy song is is like <laughs> it's great. It's, it's, it's great. pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All the music's phenomenal. All the performances are phenomenal. Um, I also like, by the way, that uh, you know they're doing that song, and and Llewellyn he's talking with Jim, yeah. and he's like, "Boy, who wrote this?" And Jim's like, <laughs> "I did." But then they play it, and and Llewellyn is absolutely, uh, you know, doing his best. He he's in yeah. the moment. He is yeah. he is singing right. his heart out. Well, that's and, the thing. He, he's always soulful, no matter what. And, and yeah, like, an artist. Will, that's the thing. He's an artist, but he won't turn down work. Like the more that you think about this guy being responsible for his own situation, the more it's like, well, what do you want the guy to do? He's going to take any work that's thrown at him. He's going to perform a hundred <laughs> times at this shitty gaslight cafe. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's willing to sleep on as many couches as possible. He's trying to do anything to not just end up like his dad, to be in touch with his soul a little bit. Right. Because in this fractured world, what else feeds the soul? You know, there's so many soulless things going on and, and so many, it's so hard to even have community. Um, and then he had, you know, this, this suicide, he had the shitty father, you know, d- doesn't seem to have a mother. His sister's kind of a, you know, treats him terribly. Uh, yeah. and they won't even give him mere existence to work yeah. on the ships. It's yeah. like, oh no, you got to pay a bunch of money to be able to work. And yeah, yeah. it's a, yeah. Well, so I, I recommend it. I, I think people should check it out if they haven't. And, uh, we spoiled the whole film for you, but I think it's one of those films that even if you hear, all of this, uh, it's it's still worth watching because it's not about the plot twists or whatever. It's about the, the no. meaning of the films. Yeah. No, it's it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully lit. Yeah. The uh, colors, the, the blues and the grays, right? Yeah. It, it, it really, you know, as a piece of filmmaking, yeah, yeah. you know, even, even if you may quibble, you don't like the story as much like I sort of did initially – uh, you can't deny that this is a, an artistic piece of yeah. filmmaking and that, you know, worth watching on that elements alone. I mean, shit, you, you watch, uh, the, so many like Hollywood blockbusters nowadays yeah. and yeah. it's, it's, it's just CGI glurge. The, that's true. The people and- who aren't even in the same place where they're all in a, a green screen cube and the lighting is fucked like this is a legit movie and more entertaining if you will like entertainment does not just have to be popcorn action scenes right as as obviously our listeners know like even though there's uh, sadness and despair and trauma there's there's a lot of humor in there too you know there's there's funny moments and 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 it's just it's it's beautiful to watch it's a dark humor but yeah well, I hope everybody enjoyed this. Uh, you know, I don't always know if the audience interest in our episodes overlaps with what we enjoy doing, but I certainly enjoy these kind of discussions. So, uh, yeah. Thanks, buddy. I, I appreciate that you watched Inside Lewin Davis, and it was great talking about these with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, let us know if you like this uh, little little double feature movie <laughs> review. Yeah. You know, we, we, got, we got 10 years old and 80 years old. Um you know the the hottest takes in in uh, <laughs> movie review history, but anyway, um, thanks for listening at least, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode.